2 Kings 5, 1-14. 2 Kings is right after 1 Kings. And wherever that is, it's in the Old Testament somewhere. About a quarter of the way through. 2 Kings 5. But you can always just listen to the reading. Hear now the reading of God's holy word. Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and in high favor, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, a leper. Now the Syrians on one of their raids had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel, and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, Would that my Lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria. He would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went in and told his Lord, This and so spoke, thus and so spoke the girl from the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Well, go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he went, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothing. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, When this letter reaches you, now know that I have sent to you Naaman, my servant, that you may cure him of his leprosy. And when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive? This man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? Only consider and see how he's seeking a quarrel with me. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent to the king, saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Let him come now to me, that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored, and you shall be clean. But Naaman was angry and went away, saying, Behold, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. But his servants came near and said to him, My father... It is a great word the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, wash and be clean? So he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child. And he was clean. Sends the reading of God's holy word. Turn now to the New Testament passage which is in Matthew chapter 8, the first verse through the fourth verse. Matthew 8, verses 1 through 4. Here again, the word of the Lord. When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them.
since the reading of God's Word. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the Word of God abides forever. Let us pray. Almighty God, our Father in heaven, we thank you for giving us this Word, encouraging and strong. We pray, O Lord, that the meditations of our hearts and the words of my mouth will be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. This is the first series, first in a series on Matthew. Last week I did a preliminary introductory sermon on Matthew 5 to catch us up a little bit on some of the great things in the Gospel of Matthew. But here is where Pastor Charles Williams, who uh, was here before, left off at the end of chapter 7, and he would have continued with chapter 8. So that's what I'm doing. So from now on, I'll just be uh, working through uh, Matthew section by section with you. And this is a gospel with a pretty clear organization. There's certain things that uh, tip you off to how he's organizing it. We're right here in a section that Matthew has already alerted us to. In Matthew 4, verses 23 and 25 in particular, uh, Matthew had talked about Jesus teaching in the synagogues. And in order for us to see what that teaching looks like, he gave us the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. So that's where we left off at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. So it's really kind of a sample of the kind of teaching that Jesus was doing. But then also in verse uh, chapter 4, verse 23, we read this, And he, Jesus, went through all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, healing every disease, and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. Jesus' authoritative teaching Jesus' authority demonstrated in healings. So the teaching was, you know, it's not over with. He's going to, Matthew's going to show us more of Christ's teaching, but that's really the purpose of the Sermon on the Mount, is to give us a sample of what that teaching will look like. Now he's going to give us a sample of the kind of healings that Christ was doing with great authority. Now this uh, section we're starting in Matthew 8, 1 through 4, this episode with the leper, is the first of three short healing episodes. So there are three short ones, and it ends with verse 17. So I'll be alerting you to that. So there's, there's kind of grouping here in Matthew's organization. And um, this, is, this is how you write history. You often will uh, put together things topically not necessarily historically and chronological unfolding. Sometimes you'll do a topical thing. If you've read any history, you've seen this. Sometimes authors jump around in time because they want to bring certain topics to your attention. And Matthew here is unfolding for us the authority of Christ with these three episodes. And the first one is this business of the leper and his request. 
ending with verse 17 for now. It's kind of a, you know, a little short capstone for these three episodes when he says, this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. So that's Matthew 8, 17. Uh, we will return to that. So let's look at this episode of Matthew 8, 1 through 4. Now, there are going to be times when I tell you that Matthew is presenting a story. Uh, and I mean that um, in a kind of a literal sense, in the sense that Matthew is writing history as a story. Now, story does not mean fiction for me here. These are not fictional. This is historical. But you can have history written as stories, which really just means how people interact. There's kind of a focus on the interaction of people, and there's a plot line. Uh, there's a conflict often, uh, and you want to do things like see who's talking the most, for example, when you're evaluating stories. So we're going to be doing that as we unfold Matthew. But I just want to, I just want to tell you outright uh, and assure you that when I say, that, you know, the story that Matthew is writing, I do not at all mean it's, it's fictional. It is not. It's historical. These things happened in history. But they can be retold to us as stories uh, in a sense that he's making a lively narrative that we can see uh, this is a very real human thing. Now, one of the things about stories that you will know, stories speak to people throughout all cultures and times. How many of you remember what Nathan said to David, the prophet Nathan? Yeah, oh yeah. How can you, how can you not remember that? That's a story. He told a story, right? And it's so memorable. It's so striking. Well... There you have it. This is this is a that's a historical episode as well. We have the same thing here. This won't really come up here, but I just want to alert you to what is going to happen. So now we look at this business of the leper in Matthew eight one through four. Jesus came down from the mountain. Now that mountain is the mount, the Sermon on the Mount. It's actually a kind of a hillside. If you look over there, you'll see the beginning of the coast range, and it's kind of a hillside. Take out all the trees. Some people here like that. Take out all the trees, and you'll have the kind of hillside that Jesus was on because it's a very arid place, and you don't have those big trees like we do uh, where he lived. So it's a hillside, uh, really, and they, they call it a mountain. Now, this is... Um, just the term you would use for that kind of hillside. And he came down there, and great crowds were following him. So the fact that you have great crowds signals that people are getting word of him. They're already hearing what he can do. They're already, they're already impressed by the kinds of things he, he can do. Now, I say that because so far, Jesus hasn't really healed anybody. He's just preached the sermon. Uh, he hasn't really done anything in ours, except for Matthew says this kind of summary thing, and he healed a lot of people. Uh, but now we're going to see it. And here's the effect of it. This, this fellow who's called a leper comes and kneels down before Jesus. 
and he has this leprosy. Now, we call it leprosy, and that's the term you find here, but you should know that it's not what you and I think of as leprosy, probably. The best we can tell is that's called Hansen's disease, by the way, that that kind of leprosy was not found much in this place and time. Instead, it would be something like what we call scale disease, which, according to my vast medical knowledge gained from MedMD, I should have talked to our resident medical doctor, but I'm sure I'll hear about it afterwards. But scale disease apparently is not curable, and it can be kind of nasty and difficult to deal with. And that's probably, they think, what this guy had. And and so it's a very serious affliction. Basically, your skin dries up, and it's like a a reptile skin. It it can be really uh, itchy and nasty. Now, I I know all about that because I'm prone to scale disease every time I look at a poison oak plant. If if there's one within a a mile, I, I get it. I mean, it's just, it flocks to me. And then I, the last time I had poison oak, I went to the doctor. She took a picture of my legs. <laughs> I said, you're going to send that to a medical journal? She said, yeah, probably. <laughs> it was that bad. I really had it bad. I mean, I, it's really bad. So I'm sympathetic with this scale disease business because, you know, you can't scratch it. it. It itches like fire and you can't scratch it. That's what this guy was going through. So anytime you have poison oak, think of this guy. This is what his life was like, and there's no cure for it. And so he falls down before Jesus and says, you can, you can make me clean. Now, the th- if you have this kind of scale disease, or any kind of, you know, what we call, we'll just call it leprosy, but if you have this stuff, you can't go to the temple. The priest will exclude you from the temple. You can't worship God. You can't go to church. You're not going to... They're not going to let you into a synagogue either. They're not going to let you in anywhere with people. You're basically excluded and isolated. There's actually a provision in Leviticus for isolating people. They have to live alone when they have this. And the priest would guarantee that they're not coming in the temple. Now the question is, how did he know that Jesus could cleanse him? And by the way, cleansing is the normal term for dealing with this leprosy. Is cleansing, not healing, but cleansing. And once you say cleansing, you're thinking making someone clean so they can attend worship. You're purified so that you can now be in the presence of God. And that's, that's the real issue here, is can he be healed, certainly, but cleansed so that he can now worship God? Now, Priests back then did not have a special power to cleanse anybody. They declared someone clean. They examined someone and said, okay, that's cleared up on its own, and you are now clean. You can attend the service. And that's, that's what a priest can do. But here, this guy comes up to Jesus, falls down before him, and... Uh, and kneels before him and says, if you are willing, you can make me clean. 
Now, the last people who knelt before Jesus were magi. It's kind of interesting, isn't it? And if you're reading Matthew consecutively, you just trace who, who kneels down to Jesus. Magi, this guy. It's interesting, the next guy asking for healing for his servant, he doesn't fall down before Jesus. But this guy does. He falls down before him. He venerates him. Basically, it's, a, it's the status of someone who's appealing, heartfelt, with all that they have before the Lord. And he says, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. He calls him his Lord. And how did this guy think that Jesus could do this? Is he a priest? Priest can't heal. Maybe he's a prophet. But notice what he says. If you are willing, you can do this. He doesn't say, if you're willing, maybe you can pray for me. Maybe God will do this. Maybe. There's really no doubt expressed here. This is an act of faith. If you want to, you can do this. You have the power to do this. And that's faith. Uh, this, is, this is the way it works in the Bible. Sometimes you're, you're saying, well, did this guy have faith? This guy have faith? That lady have faith? You want to know that from the Old Testament? They often don't tell you, oh yeah, this person in faith did this. Instead, they show you faith by what they do and what they say. This man had faith, a deep and abiding faith in Christ as his Lord, and he can do this. He believed that. He kneels down and says, if you are willing, that's the only thing required here, then you can do this. Now, the healing of lepers in the Bible, except through Jesus, there's just one, Naaman. There's just one in the Old Testament. Luke 4, verse 27. Jesus says there were many lepers in Israel at the time of Elisha, but only one leper was healed, Naaman the Syrian. So just one. But this guy knows that Jesus can heal him because someone better than Elisha has come to the people of God. He's been sent by God for this. If you're willing, you can heal me. Now, think about what Jesus could have done. Don't get too close. <laughs> think, about, think about us, all right? Think about us. If somebody comes to you with a really nasty skin disease... Are you going to touch them? Oh, yeah. Let's have a big hug. <laughs> yeah, I don't think you are, right? Is that your first instinct, to touch such a person? No. I'm sure this guy had not been touched much since this cropped up. I can tell you. How important is the human touch to our well-being, really? Friend, a friendship and, and uh, acceptance. You, 
you're important to me. You know, this is the kind of thing that this guy had none of. He had no one who cared for him. He was alone. And what did Jesus do? He said, oh, I'm willing. Be clean. And then what did he do? He could have. Pete, you go talk to him. John, you go, you go talk to him and tell him what to do. Tell him there's a, there's a river over there he can wash, dip seven times, he'll be clean. He could have just followed Elisha. Isn't that story of Elisha and Naaman just so incredible? Again, it's a story, historical story. Isn't it so incredible? It's so memorable. Elisha doesn't come out to see this great man from Syria, this great general with all of his chariots. Elisha sends one of his servants. And then he tells him to go dip in the Jordan, kind of a muddy river. You know, it's not, not an important river. And, I mean, this, this is how this guy takes it, right? I could have just done this back home in Damascus. But Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus touches this guy. He says, I'm willing. And that's what it says right here. He stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing. Be clean. He, he touched him. And that's the thing, actually, in these three stories. He touches the leper. He's going to go touch the centurion servant. That's why he was going to go there, I believe. It's my opinion. And then he touches Peter's mother-in-law. He, he wanted to touch them. Why? This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our diseases and bore our illnesses. He touched them because he was demonstrating that he was going to take upon himself all of our uncleanness and diseases and remove it from us. That's a symbolic act that he wanted to convey to us. All the fear of people not wanting to touch this guy, he just touches him. Because that's why the Father sent him. He sent him for his people that he might take upon himself and transfer to himself all of our diseases, all of our afflictions. He caught them all. He is a real human being. We confess that in the Nicene Creed. It's very clear even though the Nicene Creed makes really clear from the teaching of Scripture that our Lord Jesus Christ is truly God and truly man. But he's still truly man as well as God. He's truly man such that he could take upon himself all of our afflictions. They could be transferred to him. So, brothers and sisters, this is why Jesus does this simple thing. In a very short narrative like this, it's easy to just kind of read along and, and skip over such little details. But this is vital. It's a startling thing that he does, particularly if you have the Naaman episode in mind. Elisha did not touch Naaman. He never did. In fact, he sent his servant and he never talked to him again, except later when Naaman wants to give him lots of booty, a lot of, you know, loot to uh, pay off the debt, and he doesn't accept it. 
But that's irrelevant here. This is not Elisha. Someone greater than Elisha has come, the Lord Jesus Christ. And He came to heal us. This was, this was something that Jesus did intentionally. Think about this. If the high priest of Israel were to touch a leper, he becomes unclean. And he can't go into the temple for a certain set period of time. He has to offer sacrifice. The Lord Jesus just did this. Now, the Lord Jesus did more than declare the man clean. The priest can only examine the skin disease and declare, okay, you're healed, it's cleared up, you are now clean, you can enter the temple. Jesus did more than that. He actually did away with the disease, with a word, just a word. I am willing, be clean, and touching the man. So Jesus is acting like a priest like no other. And notice he is declaring the man clean. I am willing, be clean, and you are now clean. So Jesus is indeed acting like a priest. Now he's not overthrowing yet all the Mosaic code of sacrifice. He will do that on the cross, but not yet. Right now, he he tells the man, go and sacrifice as Moses commanded and, and go to the priest. So Jesus is not overthrowing the religion of the people of God that they knew. That aspect of it, though, he came to fulfill. If you want to see this, Jesus says this exactly in Matthew 5, 17, and 18. I did not come to destroy the law or the prophets, but I came to fulfill it. And not a little single stroke of the pen will pass away from the law until everything is fulfilled and occurs. And that's what Jesus is doing here. It hasn't yet been fulfilled. Because when he takes our diseases upon himself, ultimately is on the cross. That's when he deals with the disease that we can never, no matter how good our medical doctors are, they can never take away the guilt of our sin. And that's what Jesus came to do. So he calls upon this man to go uh, speak to the priest and offer the gift. And notice how this section ends in verse 4. As a proof to them, It's testimony to Jesus. Jesus using this healing as testimony. You see, Jesus is is interested in helping the people of God. He has compassion. He's a gentle and kind uh, healer. But he's not here to heal of these kinds of diseases alone. His real concern is the heart of our problem, and that is guilt. And the curse of God's uh, law, which has fallen upon us, so that the disease has sprung up among us. He's going to deal with that, something that no other priest can deal with. As Matthew unfolds, Matthew is actually a story of the conflict of two priests, the high priest of Israel, who put him to death, and the high priest Jesus. 
And that's, that's, that's what we're going to start seeing unfold as we read through Matthew. But for now, Jesus says, okay, I want these priests to see for themselves that a greater than Elisha is here in their midst. For proof of this, you go offer that sacrifice as proof of it. And we're going to observe the commandments that you are under in the Mosaic Covenant at this point. Now, brothers and sisters, how does this impact us? I think we pray the same way this guy did. If you are willing, you can do this. How many times have you prayed thinking, I don't know, (laughs) I don't know, maybe I'm being presumptuous here. If you're humble, which most of you are, you're you're thinking to yourself, no, I'm a little too, that's too presumptuous. You know, I really, I don't want to bother God with that. Or, you're thinking to yourself, nah, you know, nah, he's not really going to do that. I've never seen it happen. Has this guy ever seen anybody cleansed of leprosy? He heard about it, but has he ever seen it? Brothers and sisters, if you are willing, you can do this. And then we read from Scripture This is the confidence we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. 1 John 5, 14. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. 1 John 5, 14. Then Jesus himself in John 14, 13 through 14. Whatever you ask in my name, I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. I'm willing. I'm willing. How can you, how can you turn away from that and, and think, well, is he willing or not? He's willing. He's willing to do more than you ask or think. But notice that one qualification here. And you'll find this in James 1. You study James 1 sometimes. It deals with this as well. And that's this. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. So you think about your request to the Lord, whether it really is to glorify the Father in the Son. Is it for the glory of God that this that this be accomplished for you? And then you ask. You ask freely. The worst is, he would say, and sometimes he does this, not yet. I'm willing, but not yet. I have a different purpose for you in this experience. Not yet. I'm willing, but there's a time when I will act in my good timetable. might be in this life, and it might be in your resurrection. Your resurrection, brothers and sisters, is what he's willing to do. Your resurrection is guaranteed by his own. And you know he's willing to raise you. He has guaranteed it by his own. That you can pray for without 
any doubt, O Lord, raise me from the dead. I carry around with me this living death. Raise me up from this. And until then, let me glorify you as a loving, gentle Savior and a Father who cares for me. But, but, there might be a time, brothers and sisters, when you face something urgent and you say to yourself, I I need help now. And you pray. And you pray believing. Because our Savior is willing to take care of you and to do things that you don't expect. He's willing. Just like with this guy. He's willing. He wants you to come to Him. You depend upon Him and you pray to Him like this guy did. Let's pray. There are afflictions here, O Lord, among us, people who suffer mightily. We have people who are lonely. We have people who have physical ailments. People who have other afflictions of the body and soul. Show your willingness, O Lord, to bring healing, encouragement, and strength to us. We are your people. We are weak. Be glorified in our midst. But may your name be glorified, O Lord our God, in all of our requests. Guide us and hear us when we pray to you. Be merciful to us. For Lord, you are our Lord and our shepherd. And as you demonstrated, show your willingness to us day by day. For until then, O Lord, that great day when you will demonstrate it in glory we can't even imagine. Until then, let us serve you with gladness and always look to you, the source of all our hope and encouragement. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.